The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. Hokie Nation, uh, Ed and Mike are back with a Hokie Hoops episode following a unfortunate loss at Miami and a one and two stretch overall with um, a pretty walk in the park type win against Georgia Tech at home, followed by a 10 point loss to Duke in Castle and then going down on the road and losing to Miami by eight in a game that uh, we'll talk probably majority of this podcast about that game, but um, just kind of a quick summary. Yeah, the Georgia Tech win, you know, 91-67, pretty, pretty casual win over um, a Georgia Tech team that I think will be really good in a year or two uh, under Damon Stoudemire. He's recruiting well, and um, I, I think he'll be a really good coach in the ACC uh, in a year or two, but they're, they're a little bit of ways off from being competitive now. Um, followed that up quickly, quick turnaround, a 48-hour turnaround, had Duke come into Castle, ranked number seven at the time of that game, uh, and lost by 10. Quite frankly, on a night where I thought Virginia Tech played okay, um, only four turnovers. That would be surprising if you told me post game we only turned the ball over four times and lost. That kind of would have been kind of would have been shocked. Um, but unfortunately, the Hokies shot twenty seven percent from three. Had a lot of really good looks at opportune times that didn't fall, um, and kind of allowed Duke to keep momentum and um, keep the Hokies at arms arms length the entire time, and then. Uh, the rebounding category was where things were really, really bad for Virginia Tech. 38-20, to 20, Duke out-rebounded the Hokies. So um, that was an overall kind of a frustrating game because it just felt like we never had a chance. Like we were never within striking distance, but also never felt like we were playing bad. Um, Duke's obviously just extremely, extremely talented. Uh, MJ Collins is really good against Duke. He had 17 points on 7 of 13 shooting. He was really aggressive early and often, had a really big first half, and kept Virginia Tech kind of within striking distance, but they unfortunately can never crawl within, you know, eight within 10 and ultimately lost by 10. And then obviously the 82 to 74 loss to Miami that we'll get to here in a second. But uh, Mike, do you have any takeaways from that Duke game in particular? Yeah. I mean, didn't shoot it great from three, right? I thought overall, I agree with you. I thought tech was okay. Offensively um, shot it well from two couldn't throw it in the ocean from deep. That was really the deciding factor in the game. I thought Duke was really, really good offensively. Um, Blue Devils were just real tough. Jeremy Roach hit a couple of gigantic threes in the second half. Um, really, really took Tech's momentum out of it. Felt like every time Tech cut it to like five, they just couldn't get over the hump because Duke would hit a big shot or they'd go on a quick like four nothing burst, right? And it would just kind of get back up to eight, nine, ten. So that I mean, it was tough, and I thought. Virginia Tech defensively actually was okay at the game. Like, I didn't think they played too particularly yeah. terribly defensively. It was just, like, a lot of Duke's three-pointers. I mean, it's kind of like just really good offense beating good defense. Um, Tech was caught in rotation a bunch, right? They were real worried about Filipowski. 
they give and I thought they did a decent job on Filipowski in that game, right? Um, made life kind of difficult on him in terms of like he's usually averaging like 17, 18 per. Um, it was just a situation where like Duke would dump it into Filipowski, they'd kick it back out, and then they just rotate it around the around three point line, and then they just bang it three, and it was like just repetitive offense. And Tech kept doubling the post, which is what I think they should have done because Filipowski's a tough cover one on one. Even though I think Virginia Tech's bigs have been decent defensively, I do think that's, you know, it's tough to guard Filipowski for 40 minutes, right? So I was okay with how Tech played defense in that game. You're banking on Duke missing shots on the road, and they just didn't do that. They shot it great. So that's kind of like a tip-your-cap kind of game, and then you wish that some of your three-pointers fell, and they just didn't, right, on the offensive end of the floor. So I was okay with how Tech played in that game. I think you just lose to a better team. I'm okay with that. It's a contrast from the Miami game, which we'll talk about now, Ed, where, like, I think if Virginia Tech played against Miami the way that they did against Duke, I think they win this game by, like, 15. So it's real frustrating, right, when you when you kind of, you know, have that game be played on Monday against Duke, have, like, five days off, and then go play Saturday and look the way that you did down the stretch. And I thought Tech played well in stretches in this game. I thought they played real poorly in stretches, obviously, the last four minutes being, like, chief among them so uh two different kinds of losses last week is what i would say yeah the miami game was as um as bummed as i think i've ever been watching virginia tech basketball lose a game outside of the i guess the sweet 16 loss in 2019 i was i was really bummed after that loss on saturday um a game we were winning by nine at half we were winning by double digits uh for points of the first and second half um, and then to kind of just crumble the way we did in those last five minutes uh, and give away a win was was super, super disheartening. Um, Virginia Tech played a really good game for, you know, 35 minutes, and those last five minutes just absolutely gave it all right back to them. Um, you know, I think if we play that Miami team 10 times, Virginia Tech probably wins six, yet somehow we lost both of the games this year. Um it's super, super frustrating the way we lost to them at home by four and then to lose this one on the road when you had it. I mean, you had it for, you know, 30, 35 minutes. So uh, it was incredibly frustrating. I was I was, I was really upset after that loss. Um, up nine at half, and you lose the second half 56 to 39. Gave up 56 points in the second half. Just completely unacceptable. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Uh, Miami had five guys in double figures. They're a talented team who's been injury stricken throughout the year. I think they'll probably go on a little run and make the tournament. They sit at 15 and seven and six and five in conference and they've got a lot of talent. And, you know, they talked about it in the, in the first half of the broadcast, how they're kind of starting five has not played very many games together this year. Cause you know, Matthew Cleveland will get hurt and then or Chad O'Meara will get hurt. And then Nigel Pop will get hurt. And they were all playing on, on Saturday and, Ultimately, I do think that's a really talented Miami team, but no excuse. Like, you got to win that game. Um, you know, you're up nine and a half to give up 56 second half points. They scored 30 more points in the second half than they did in the first. Uh, it's just completely unacceptable. And um, ultimately, it could, you know, barring a a pretty pretty good run here to end the year, it could come back and really bite us in the butt come Selection Sunday. So um, extremely frustrated. But, Mike, I know you have thoughts on that game as well. Yeah, we were texting a little bit as we always do. Um, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, I think, you know, last four minutes is kind of what you're going to remember, I think, when 
there's a better than 50% chance, probably even much higher than that, that Virginia Tech's on the outside looking in on Selection Sunday. Um, you're going to remember the last four minutes of this Miami game. I tweeted this out, but, like, Virginia Tech really needed to split the quad one games that they played this week, right, they, or last week. They had to either beat Duke at home or they had to go on the road and beat Miami. Going into it, I was thinking, okay, obviously Duke's a more talented team, but given Virginia Tech's track record um, and how they played against Duke and Castle, I was thinking actually Virginia Tech had a better opportunity to beat Duke than they did Miami. So when, when they lost to Duke, I was like, all right, I think we're staring 0-2 in the face. And then I watched the first 35 minutes of the Miami game, and again, it wasn't perfect for the first 35 minutes, right? There were stretches where Miami kind of gained the upper hand in the first half. Tech went on that that really, really solid run the last eight minutes of the first half, kind of pulled away, had a nice little lead going into halftime, went up nine. And then second half, you know, Miami went on a run, Tech matched it, Miami went on another run, Tech matched it. And then it's, you know, Virginia Tech's up by five with four minutes to play, and they just give it all away in 20, what was it, 20 seconds they gave it away? Yeah. Three two straight, boneheaded, yeah. really bad turnovers. Um, Sean Padula had a bad one. And then inbounding the ball to Padula, uh, Robbie Barron kind of threw it to the wrong side of him. And Padula, Padula is not, it's not like he's absent of fault in this turnover either. Like he wasn't really paying attention and was thinking he had more time to, to get the ball. It was just lackadaisical. Miami got an easy bucket off of that too. Just a couple of really, really bad turnovers that you can't have in that situation in the game, especially on the road when you're trying to close a good team out in their building. Um, really, really tough. So, I mean, Tech's in the spot now where they go 0-2 this week in quad one opportunities. The problem is that, you know, Virginia Tech doesn't have a lot of these left, right? You look at the schedule, and it's kind of been an issue with the ACC all year, right? There, there are a handful of really, really good teams. Um, Duke and Carolina are, are the two best teams in the ACC. They were solid. Miami's good. I agree with you, Ed. I think Miami can certainly make the tournament. But but you look kind of up and down the ACC, and it's just kind of questionable who's going to get in. And there, there's going to be a lot of ACC teams that historically have had pretty good runs in making the NCAA tournament. Virginia Tech is actually one of them the last decade. You know, that they're one of those teams that's been pretty consistent, at least on the bubble. Probably not making the tournament this year, right? Barring a 2021-like run here, the final nine games. We'll get into this in a second, but, like, there's not a lot of quad one opportunities left. They go to Carolina in a week like I don't feel fantastic about that game Carolina I think could win the whole thing um they look yeah, like a final good. four team they're really really good um Hubert Davis caught a ton of crap last year for the way that team looked and what they were returning after making the title game two years ago and man <laughs> it's all coming back like those are all coming back those bad takes about Hubert Davis are all coming back to roost man like that team is solid really good in the front court R.J. Davis is an All-American in the backcourt. They are stacked. Um, you're not going to Chapel Hill and, and winning that game, I don't think. It's, it's going to be a real uphill battle. That's a game I think you're more likely to lose lose by 20 than, than pull off an upset in their building with how they've looked. But that's like your, your one for sure quad one opportunity left. Um, you travel on the road to Syracuse. That's going to be a, a quad two game for sure, maybe a quad one game, um, depending how Syracuse looks here over the next couple weeks. But, like, when you look at Virginia Tech's schedule, like, there's not a whole lot left where you look at it and you're like, man, like, that's for sure going to be a really, really good win on Selection Sunday. I mean, they go to Notre Dame, Florida State at home, at Carolina. Like, those are your next three. Carolina's the only good team there. Florida State, who we were talking about trending in a good direction on the last podcast, Ed, they just lost to, to uh, Louisville. 
Um, so that, there goes that, right? Um, I, I just don't see a lot of really good opportunities left for Tech to pick up real quality wins. And that, that's what I'm concerned about in February, even if they go on a run here. It's like, okay, where are the quality wins? Like, I, I think you can look, if you look real good in the quad two and you, and you get to 19, 20, and you, you're, you're going to break down the numbers here in a second um, between teams that have a 19-win record going into the ACC tournament and teams that have a 20-win record going into the ACC tournament and what they're or going into a conference tournament and kind of what they look like going into Selection Sunday. But drop-off is steep. Like, Tech's got to go at least 7-2 and two down the stretch here before ACC tournament time to give themselves an opportunity, I think, which is a 2021-like run where they won eight of their last nine games, right? Tech would have to win at least seven of their last nine here. And given the issues in the rotation, which we can talk about too, like I have a hard time seeing them do it even against a favorable schedule. Yeah, I think this week off um, is huge. Absolutely huge for this team right now because they're playing seven guys. Um, this week off hopefully gets Mikai Long back fully healthy. He was dressed against Miami but didn't play. Um, if you can get him back in the rotation, get your rotation up to eight bodies and then find a way to get Jaden Young and Brandon Recksteiner involved a little bit um, during this week off. But more importantly than then the rotation, you know, more important than solving the rotation in my mind, at least, is um, fixing this rebounding problem. Uh, spending some time this week to fix that. Get some guys some rest. I'll talk more about Sean Padula in a second, but um, his usage rate is extremely high, uh, as is Hunter Couture's. You know, those two are. We knew coming into the year that those two would be the main guys, and they have been, and without much help. Um, wasn't really a third guy against Miami, hence, you know, the loss. When we've had a third guy, we've won. When we haven't, we lost. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, it, they need the week off. I'll just – let's just put it at that. They need the week off. they got a couple of things to solve. I trust the staff to um, tweak things in the appropriate way to come out and play a really good game against a not-so-great Notre Dame team. Um, but a road game nonetheless. I think, you know, you mentioned the lack of opportunities for good wins. Well, those aren't, yeah, like that is what it is at this point. You know, you just have to beat the teams in front of you and hope it's enough. Um, the good wins were in November, the Boise State, the Iowa State. Um, you know, those were the good wins that are kind of anchoring our potential resume. Um, more importantly than the good wins, though, is probably the lack of bad losses because we still haven't lost to a Notre Dame or a Louisville or a bad team. Um, you know, you lost to Duke and you lost to Miami and Virginia and, you know, Florida state might be your worst one, but it's on the road. And again, they're kind of, they're not that bad. I mean, they're, they just lost to Louisville, which was really bad. Um, but we don't have like a really glaringly bad loss, like some other tournament resume type teams do on the bubble. Um, so that could help as well, but yeah, you got to go, you know, seven and two and get to that 21 mark or, um, I mean, I don't think 19 wins gets it done, but I think 20 probably does. And historically, um, 20 wins gives you a 75.5% chance of making the NCAA tournament. Um, I think with our strength of schedule, that Iowa State win, that Boise State win, and what would be, you know, what would that be? That would be, that would be 12 ACC wins. Um, I think you probably get in with that. That's what we said at the start. Yeah, I just I don't like having the margin be as thin as it is right now, but that's where we are. Um, and you know, 19 wins historically, you have a 38 percent chance of getting in the tournament. That's obviously lower than we would like it to be. Um, and then if you go to teamrankings.com, 
Um, they currently have the Hokies as a 49% chance of making the tournament, which was higher than I thought it would be, uh, with the most likely seed being an 11 seed. So getting in on that 11-12 line, 46% um, chance of it being an at-large bid, 3% auto bid, so winning the ACC again. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's also where I pulled the same numbers. You know, 21 wins historically is a 90%, 93% chance of getting in, 20 wins, 75%. Um, so, again, there's a path, but it's a really narrow one. Um, fortunately, you know, Notre Dame is on the road, but they're not very good. Florida State at home, a team we lost to on the road by three. I like our chances to beat them at home, I think. Um, and if you go based off of the, the ESPN matchup predictor and click on each of these games, you know, Tech is favored to win based on percentages in six of them. Um, the three that we are not would be Carolina on the road against Pitt. And there was one other one. What was the other one? No, I think it was just maybe it was just two then. Yeah, just two. So um, that would be your seven and two if things go chalk based on ESPN's little tool they've got here. Um, narrow path, doable path, but very narrow, and I, I can't emphasize enough that I think the week off came at a really crucial time. Um, the Georgia Tech, and then tw you know, 24 hours off, and then you're playing Duke. Uh, turnaround was not great, and then, you know, obviously the Miami loss. We've we've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it on online and stuff. It was extremely frustrating. There's no excusing it, um, but there is still a path, albeit very very narrow. Uh, the lack of a bad loss point is. Just really important, right? Virginia Tech is nine and zero in quad three and quad four games. Yeah, yeah, gigantic right now. Like the well, outside sounds like a twelve seed to me. Out, dude, outside of, I mean, outside of the the Boise State and Iowa State point, as far as like the quality wins, which I mean, that point is obviously well taken. That's the only reason why Virginia Tech's even in, why we're even having a fringe discussion about the tournament, is because of those two wins and the fact Virginia Tech still does not have a bad loss. Even if you call that Florida State loss a bad loss, it was a quad two loss. It was on the road, right? It's still sitting as a quad two loss. That's not bad. Virginia Tech is 500 right now. They're two and two in quad two, right? So, you know, you take the quad two, quad three, quad four. We have a lot of quad two. We have a lot of quad two games left, right? I mean, a ton, right? So I was just about to get into that, right? So we have one, two, we have three quad two games and two quad one games remaining. Okay, so North Carolina away is a quad one game. Right now, Pittsburgh at the end of – again, a lot can change because that pit game is February 24th, so we got basically three full weeks. But right now, that would be a quad one game on the road to pit. Not an easy place to go win, but if we're talking about a team that's going to try to make, make the tournament, you've got to win a couple of these road games, right? It's probably not going to be Carolina, so maybe if you pick up that pit win, that's obviously a lot more doable. Um, but Virginia Tech's got two quad one opportunities at North Carolina, at Pittsburgh. They have three quad two opportunities left, home against UVA on the 19th, away at Syracuse on the 27th, and home against Wake Forest on March the 2nd. And then you have three quad three games, so Notre Dame this weekend, Florida State next week, and then Louisville on the road uh, in early March. And then you have one quad four game remaining, and that is at home against Notre Dame to close out the regular season. Yep. So there are some – look, when you, when you have five of your last nine games be quad one or quad two opportunities, that's huge, right? Um, so, again, not a, lot of, not a lot of games available as far as, like, quad one quality games left. But you do have a healthy mix of quad one and quad two, and I think if – 
we're talking about a 7-2 and two record. Obviously, a couple of those games are going to have to be at least quad two games. So it's, it's important that even if you go 7-2 down the stretch, the ones you lose are important. Yeah. Lose to Carolina on the road, right? Um, lose to Pitt on the road. Those are, the two, those are also the two that ESPN says we would not be favored in. So, and look, I, I would prefer that you win one of those two because I do think you boost your chances of, of getting into the tournament if you split there. But then if you split, then your second loss has to be a quad two game, right? We can't lose quad three and quad four games. If Virginia Tech goes perfect in quad three, quad four, they have a winning record in quad two, and they get to 20 wins, they might have a chance to get in the field, Ed, to your point. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. There's still certainly a chance. And, you know, that on paper... You know, we can kind of go down the list and talk about that. But I think in practice, this week off is really important, like you mentioned. Getting healthy, getting eight, eight, nine guys deep in the rotation, getting Makai Long back, um, getting Rex Steiner back. He wasn't in the Miami game. He was sick. He didn't even travel. Um, I don't know. I, I just think back to that 21 team, and a big reason why Virginia Tech got to where they were at that season kind of just think about the closing stretch in February. They won eight of nine in the regular season and then went on the run in the ACC tournament, obviously won the conference title. The reason why they went on that run is because the young guys started getting more comfortable. Padula and Maddox started getting more playing time and got more comfortable, especially on the defensive end of the floor, which Mike Young has said all along. If you're young and you want to get on the floor, you got to play defense, right? You got to at least hold your own a little bit. You don't need to be the best defender on the floor, but you got to hold your own. And I think Virginia Tech gets to get Mikhail Long back, and then you're able to get Rex Steiner and Young some additional minutes and bring them along a little bit. I do think you have an opportunity to build out a little bit of a rotation down the stretch. I don't know if that results in in making the tournament. I don't know if that results in you know finishing the season with 18 or 19 wins and just feeling like you can go in the conference tournament, make a little bit of a run, and maybe do something, we'll see, right? But where this is at right now is not good from a rotation standpoint. Mikhail Long's been hurt. Padula and Couture's usage, sky high, which we knew. But we were hoping that, you know, having Rodney Rice, I, I hate to bring that up, but, like, you would hope that he would be able to provide, like, at worst, like, at a floor, seven, eight, nine points per game, and take some pressure off a Padula, take some pressure off a Hunter Couture. But Tech doesn't have that luxury. And I think that's that's been the issue on the last couple of Virginia Tech teams. This is a much better team than it was a year ago. I understand they lost the scoring in the front court with Grant Basile, and I understand that like Robbie Barron, for as well as he's played recently, he wasn't that guy offensively at Northwestern. He was never going to be that guy at Tech, but he had been kind of a little bit of a disappointment in the opening stretch of the year. Virginia Tech's a different-looking offensive team this year, but I think they're much better defensively. But they don't have the luxury. As soon as Rodney Rice left, Tech no longer really had a margin for error anymore. We knew the rotation was going to be thin. We knew if they had injuries, it would be an issue. But they're in this spot now where like they got to try to build out some more depth. And I think this week is a great opportunity to do it. And I think that Virginia Tech, I think there's an opportunity on Saturday when they play Notre Dame. I think there is an opportunity there to go on the road and maybe have some of the younger guys play a little bit more. 
um, and get their feet under them a little bit. I think you're going to have to do that. I don't think Tech can go 7-2 down the stretch with the rotation they're currently rolling out there right now, and I just don't think it's realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they need more production from the bench. Um, and just like you talked about with you know, Padula and Maddox back on that run that they went on a few years ago, uh, it would need to look somewhat similar with more of a spark coming off the bench. It just hasn't been there to this point of the season. Um, real quick on this, you know, everybody feels really down about where we are right now. We're 52nd in the net and 58th in Ken Palm. Um, it, it, it's far from over from that perspective. Um, those are those are respectable numbers. And, you know, if you find a way to go seven and two, obviously you'll probably climb somewhere into the mid 40s in those two metrics. And that would give you, again, another shot at getting an at-large bid, probably on that 11-12 line. Um, two other things I wanted to talk about. First, first one is Sean Padula because he's getting a lot of hate online, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous the hate that Sean Padula is getting online. Um, he is currently averaging 16 points a game with almost five assists per game, shooting 41% from the field and 36% from three. That is good for the sixth highest scoring guard in the ACC, 11th overall scoring player in the ACC. Um, and he's fourth in assists per game in the ACC. Yes, he's turning the ball over. Um, everybody knows that. Nobody more than Sean Padula probably knows that. But let's not pretend like this guy's not one of the premier guards in this conference. Um, and he's absolutely our most important and best player. I mean, Sean Padula is a really, really good basketball player. Um, so let's not forget that, Virginia Tech fans. Um, let's calm down a little bit on the internet. Uh, you know, the, the kid is a really, really good basketball player and has been good for us all year long. And he's the only reason we're even having a conversation about being in the NCAA tournament in a few weeks. So let's just keep that in mind as we move forward. I, uh, I echo all of that. Uh, we took, we've talked about this numerous times. He's playing like 38 minutes a game. <laughs> Well, then there's that. that. Okay, so one point I, I wanted to make, I kind of made indirectly with the depth piece, but like one point I wanted to make is like when you start losing games like you did against Miami, right? When Miami's talented, I think they're a tournament team. I think they're good, but when you when you give away games like that, because that's what happened Saturday, Tech gave the game away. Absolutely. And and Miami played well down the stretch, no question about it, and they're a good team. But Tech gave that game away. That was more about what Tech did down the stretch rather than what Miami did. I mean, you're, mm -hmm. you're handing them layups on their home floor, right? Yeah, pretty straight. Right. right. Um, this is the point in the year where not having the depth kills you because the, you start to see the minutes wear on guys like Padula and Couture when they're playing 37, 38 minutes a night and you're, like, deep into conference play. Um Tech's 11 games deep in the ACC schedule now, right? There's nine games to play. They're over halfway done with ACC play. And this is where, like, in the month of February, you start to get tired legs. Mm -hmm. Week off's huge, right? The week off's huge. Tech played a packed four-game stretch there. Um, really five, dating back to that NC State game. I mean, they, they played that Saturday against NC State, turned around, played a late game Tuesday. Saturday, the following Saturday against Georgia Tech, then went Monday, Saturday. I mean, they were playing, they played five games in, in nine, nine days, um, 10 days. It's, it's when your legs start to wear on you. And the Sean Padula point, like, yes, the turnovers are frustrating. Yes, I'm sure he understands that, like, he played a major part in Tech giving that game away late on Saturday. No question about it. Um, but like you mentioned, the Hokies are not in this spot without Sean Padula. 
He is one of the premier guards in the ACC. There's a reason why all of these coaches talk about how difficult it is to defend him before they play every single game, right? They have those those you know press conferences previewing the game that night or the next night, and all of these coaches are talking about Sean Padula. We all love Hunter Couture. Great player. But he's not the player off the bounce that Sean Padula is. Padula's yeah. a dynamic, athletic point guard in the ACC. He's a high-level Division One point guard that Virginia Tech's very fortunate to have. And while it's frustrating that he's turning the ball over at the clip that he is, there is a lot on him. A lot on him. And I'm sure Mike Young laments that a little bit, too. He went into the year knowing that, you know, Sean Padula's usage last year was unacceptable in terms of, like, what they put on him as a sophomore. How many minutes he had to play. How the offense ran through him. Padula came back this year, and he was never in bad shape. But he came back this year, fully developed another year in the weight room, in better shape than he was a year ago. He's more efficient than he was a year ago, right? He's, he's defending much better than he did last year. He's a better basketball player than he did last year. He's taking on the same workload, 37, 38 minutes a game for, for a 30-game season. I mean, it's preposterous. Yep. And that, that is what I put on, on Mike Young and the staff. Like, that's where I a – a lot of fans are just out of control online. My issue with the coaching staff right now is – and they've had some injuries, right? And Rex Steiner's been sick and Mikhail Long went out. You lose Rodney Rice a week and a half before the season. All that stuff. I get it, right? But, like, you got to build out, like, knowing all of that and having that information available to you, you got to go into a season knowing that some guys are going to get hurt, right? got to go into a season knowing and understanding that, like, your guard depth probably isn't what you want it to be. It's a tough spot to be in. And it's unfair, right? We talked about with Tyler Nickel. It's unfair to be asking guys like Nickel, who are playing, like, their first real college minutes, to come along as fast as we need them to. It was unfair last year to ask Padula to take on the workload they did. But, like, some of these guys need to speed up their development. It's not fair. But, like, the depth hasn't been developed in the way that it needs to be, right? To be the team that I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans want this basketball program to be. And I think that's what is frustrating when looking at the Sean Padula picture because there is a lot on him. And I think he gets he gets some slight from fans who are just like not really paying attention to the full picture. The fans that didn't watch the games in November casual didn't watch, didn't watch the Iowa state game. Like you and I did, didn't watch the Boise state game. You know, they weren't tuning into the really tough South Carolina loss in November, um, right around Thanksgiving. They were all still in football mode and they come to basketball season thinking we're the same team we were last year. And it, and Sean Padula is the same player he was last year. And I think that's like, not looking at the forest from the trees, right? And um, I think Virginia Tech's really fortunate to have Sean Padula. And it's frustrating the position he's in. Staff's not blameless. Padula himself is not blameless with the turnovers. But, like, it's also acknowledging the situation where, like, he's in a tough spot, too. So I just want to make sure that that's, that's clear, right? That he's just not in the greatest position right now, either. Yeah, I'll say this again. Sean Padula is averaging almost 16 points a game, almost five assists a game, on 41% shooting, 36% from three. He's the sixth highest scoring guard in the ACC. He's the 11th highest scoring player in the ACC, and he's fourth in assists in the ACC. He's one of the best guards in the country. He's one of the best guards in the league, and he's asked to do a lot on this team, and I think most nights he has done that in leaps and bounds. So 
Sean Badula, salute to you. I'm excited for him to get a week off and get in that cold tub, get ready for this home stretch and carry us to uh, what I hope is an NCAA tournament bid. So, Hey guys, this is Ali Jennings III, wide receiver for your Virginia Tech Hokies. When I committed to Virginia Tech football, I committed to the best. That's why I chose Harvey's GM in Radford. Why settle for less when you can have the best? Go to Harvey's GM for all of your vehicle needs. Tell them Ali sent you. That's Harvey's GM, Tyler Ave in Radford, or go to their website at harveysgm.com for more info. All right, Mike, with that, we're going to do a little exercise. And unfortunately, I couldn't figure out how to share my screen. Something with system preferences I'm not going to try to figure out while we're, um, while we're live. But I'll just read this off to you. So there's a lot of conversations about the state of the basketball program. And more often than not, just like, um, just like coaches did early on in prize tenure, they just compare the current coach to the former coach. And our former coach was uh, Buzz Williams, who most Virginia Tech fans would probably say is the best basketball coach in school history. Um, so I'm going to read two resumes. The first coach has a 589 win percentage at Virginia Tech with two NCAA tournament appearances, one NIT, an ACC tournament win, and five of the top 15 recruits in school history have signed in his five-year stretch. The second coach, five years at Virginia Tech, a 592 win percentage, so 0.03 higher. Um, three NCAA tournaments, so one more. The same amount of NITs and a Sweet 16 with five of the top 15 kids in school history signed. Just food for thought. They're the same. They're, I think it would be disingenuous a little bit to say they're the same coach because they're very, they're two very different coaches. Their styles are very different. Um, I think Buzz's strength is a program builder in terms of his ability to go recruit. I think Mike Young's strength is developing the existing guys. I know some people are going to push back on that. Saying, oh, we didn't develop Bamisil, and he didn't develop Maddox, and he didn't... Okay, he developed Couture, he developed Aluma, he developed Mutz. Like, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> Sean Padula. Uh, Sean um, I think I said Mutz twice there. Uh, yeah, Padula. Like, what exact? Like, what exactly are we doing? Um, I mean, that's the same coach. Yeah, I, I think Young. I think Young is catching a lot of flack because this team has been very frustrating, right? Um, and I think Buzz had a longer leash because of what he was inheriting from the James Johnson tenure, and I think that's important for the conversation too. Like, could Buzz's win percentage have been higher if he stayed for a couple more years? Yeah, maybe, but he was losing a lot from that uh, from that Sweet Sixteen team. Um, as well like in 19 he lost a ton i mean he would have been losing a ton going into 2020 right um just considering bibs and and j rob and there were a lot of guys who were moving on uh that that amid hill like those guys weren't sticking around for multiple years so uh yeah it's it's uh 
it's interesting. I think Young catches a lot of flack. I think in general he's been very good. I, I hate how, and, and I tweeted this, got some pushback. I hate how, you know, Virginia Tech fans do this thing where they're like, okay, what would, what would, you know, Mike Young's tenure look like if he didn't win the ACC title? And, you know, I, I think people forget and, and people say, oh, Virginia Tech got hot one weekend. It's totally disingenuous. It's just, uh, it, it's just, it's just completely rewriting history. It's just, it's just totally wrong. Like Virginia Tech won eight of their last nine regular season games in 2021. The only game they lost in February was to North Carolina. They won uh, a North Carolina team, by the way, Ed, that, that played in the national title that year. I just want to slide that in there too, right? Just so people don't try to rewrite that piece of history too. They played in the national championship that year. That's that's who Virginia Tech lost to in February. Um, Virginia Tech won eight of nine. They went into the ACC tournament. They beat Duke in the final, right? They win, they win the ACC title. Um, to say they got hot for one week is is total crap. Uh, it's it's just raw. It's just not correct. It's just totally just. It's not. It's not fact. Like I don't know what, how else to how else to put it. It's just not fact. Hey, you wanna you wanna hear something even funnier? <laughs> the Sweet Sixteen team that a lot of people will say is the best team in school history, and I'm not gonna argue with you about that won 26 games the and the acc title game team won 23 total games like those two teams were pretty similar like three right. different wins and not to mention who who the sweet 16 team played in the tournament liberty who they played in a scrimmage early in that year and destroyed and st louis i mean come on so yeah I, this is not to take away from that team or that era at all um it's more just a you know, what do you what do you expect Virginia Tech to be, I guess, is the more of the conversation. Like, what is your expectation for Virginia Tech basketball? And if it's not a coach with a 589 win percentage, two NCAA tournaments and an ACC title in his five year span. Maybe you should reset those cal- recalibrate those expectations slightly. Um, and I also wanted to add a caveat to this, that I included those recruiting numbers, not because. I recruited I included those numbers because. People, there's a he, Mike Young can't recruit notion, and that's just not true. What has happened with those players once they've signed with Virginia Tech and then left? Totally different conversation from a from that versus you know just pure recruiting, getting kids to sign and come to Virginia Tech. Um, he's done that as well as Buzz did in terms of you know five of the top fifteen guys were from each of those coaches. And quite frankly, when you look at production from those signees, it's kind of similar there too. I mean, Nikhil was obviously a really good player for Buzz, but Landers Nolly never even played for Buzz, yet he counts towards Buzz's guys who signed at Tech as a top 15 player. He was the number three rated recruit in school history. He never even played for Buzz. Chris Clark, obviously a very good player. Ahmed Hill had a really good career. Beattie was maybe a, I mean, a contributor, but he wasn't a freak by any stretch. He was probably better under Mike Young than he was under Buzz Williams, if we're calling a spade a spade. So... That's it. I mean, and then you look at the top 15 guys that Coach Young assigned. Rodney Rice obviously didn't pan out. Um, Joe Bamisil obviously didn't pan out, although he's having a good year at VCU now on his fourth school in four years. Um, Jalen Cohn on his third school and is playing well for Cal. And then Darius Maddox, who was a huge contributor on a team that won an ACC title, and he's now at George Mason. So, oh, and then the fifth guy is Ryan Jones Jr., who is – a top 75 recruit who's coming in next year who 
at one point prior to a knee injury in his high school career was the top 25 player in the country. So um, even from that perspective, it's pretty similar. I mean, Nikhil is by far and away the most productive of anybody in our top 15 all-time commits. Um, but then after that, it's kind of you're, you're nitpicking. I mean, Chris Clark, productive for a little while. That didn't end well. Um, Rodney Rice didn't end well. Joe Bama still didn't end. I mean, Ahmed Hill is the second most productive guy in our top 15. But if you really look at just pure recruiting metrics and where those guys landed and how their careers went, even the five Mike Young has signed and the five Buzz signed are very comparable. So um, it's just an interesting conversation. I think people misremember history or they try to rewrite it in their own mind to fit whatever narrative they're pushing in that moment. But um, we've had two really good basketball coaches in a row. I think that's a pretty fair way to end this conversation. Yeah, and season's not over. It's early February. I think we can all agree, like, this is a pretty decent defensive team. Yeah. Um, way better than a year ago. And I think if you defended the level Virginia Tech, I think has defended for most of the year, they're going to be in a lot of these games down the stretch. And yeah. they should yeah. win several of them. So the margin for error is thin. The likelihood of making the tournament is not very high, right? Because I think the margin for error is so thin. 49% or 46% as an at-large, 49 according to teamrankings.com. But we have seen them do this before. And yeah. we've seen this team go on a run under Mike Young. And they're capable of doing it. They get hot. They go on They go on these runs in conference play. Um, there's still opportunities left. I think more important than finding the quad one wings, I think a lot of the discussion just kind of across the fan base is going to be like, you know, we got to pick up the quad one and quad two wins, and I agree. More importantly, we can't lose the quad three and quad four games. Yep, yep. If you go seven and two, you can't have the seven be mostly quad two and quad threes, and then you lose to Notre Dame at home to end the year. Yeah, or, oh God. that would be lose, <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't do that, right? You can't lose oh, to Wake. Um, that'd be so devastating. That, right? I mean, that would be pretty tough. Like, you can't lose that game to end the year. Like, you can't. Like, that's the quad four, right? You can't lose on the road to Louisville. You can't um, you can't lose this weekend on the road at Notre Dame, you know? You can't lose at home to Florida State. Like, you can't lose those games. You simply cannot lose them, right? You, you got you to gotta go perfect in the quad three and quad fours. And then if it's a hodgepodge of, of Q1 and Q2s, like, Virginia Tech, I think, having a winning record in quad two, finishing the year with two quad one wins and going perfect in quad three and quad four, that would be fine. Yeah. And if they don't get in, if they don't get in, then so be it. That's still a good year. Like that's still a good year. That's still a good year. That's loser talk or whatever. But if they win 20 games and you don't get in, you can't argue with anybody. You can't be mad at anybody. Um, If they, if they do go seven and two down the stretch, you know, and, and somehow make the tournament, Mike Young would have over a five, nine percentage. And all those other accolades we already talked about, and maybe add a third NCAA tournament appearance to his resume. But even if they don't, like my, my point of that exercise was that the grass wasn't necessarily greener, and, and, it, and everything's fine, I guess. I don't know. I'm just I'm so frustrated with that that rhetoric that comes up, and it just has no merit behind it. Right. The Sean Padula stuff and the coaching staff stuff is just driving me crazy. So I'm excited for them to rattle off stuff. Not only it's not to go to the tournament and shut everybody up. And 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 two, like the, it's a lot of hypotheticals that we're playing. I don't want to confuse everybody, but like, you go four and zero, 
in the remaining quad three. It's three quad threes and one quad four game. You go four and zero in that stretch. You have five games left, right? Two Q ones and and three Q two games. If you pick off a quad one game, right, and you go one and one in the quad ones, and then you go one and two in the quad twos, and you finish with nineteen wins, and you finish with six and three, right, and you you have three quad one wins. There's still an opportunity to get in, especially, I think, if you have a good week at the ACC tournament. So I just keep that in mind. I think there is a path if you get to 19. And, Ed, I, I think the stat you brought up is important. I think Tech would have to play well in the ACC tournament. But I think if Tech got to 19 wins, didn't have any quad three or quad four losses, had three quad one wins, yeah, and then had a decent point. week, get, gets, to a, gets to a quarterfinal in the ACC tournament, gets to a semifinal in the ACC tournament, I think they have a great chance to get in with 19 wins. That's a good so, point. So I, I would just say it's not hard and fast. I know we painted it that way. I still think the most realistic way to get in is to win 20 and then have a decent week um, in the ACC tournament. I still think that's the most realistic way to, to get in. But if you go 6-3, and three, which I think from a margin of error standpoint is, is more likely than 7-2, and two, you go 6-3, and three, just have it be the right 6-3. and three, you know? like yeah. Make sure you're not, drop, you know, you're not dropping those Q3 and Q4 games. So I just wanted to bring that up because I was just kind of looking at the last nine games here. Yeah, that's a very good point. And like I said, 21, 75% chance historically of getting in the tournament. So um, there's plenty of meaningful basketball to be played. Um, the week off is coming at a really good time. Not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm like sugarcoating or defending or anything like that. Um, I'm just saying the sky's not falling the way that it appears on the internet, which it never really is. But um, things are not as bad as they may seem, albeit that loss was bad. Like I said, I've, I've, I haven't been that bombed after a loss in a very, very long time. Um, but there's still a path forward. There's still really good basketball players in this team. There's, you know, nine games left to be played before the ACC tournament. So um, I think we've kind of talked through this enough. Uh, we'll record again probably after Notre Dame. Um, but I think if you break it down into weekly stretches, you got Notre Dame, Florida State, Carolina, you got to go two and one. Then you got what's after that? Virginia. Virginia, Pitt, and Syracuse. Got to go two and one. Then you go three and zero. Oh. The last three against you. Wait, if you lose, if you lose at home to Wake Forest, at Louisville, or home against Notre Dame, it's done. Yeah, you it's don't a wrap. It. Um, so you got to go two and one, two and one, three and zero. Oh. And I think that's pretty much exactly how we had outlined it you know, two or three episodes ago as well. Kind of the same path has been there. Um, I think I thought we were going to win one of Duke and Miami and not NC State, and we won NC State and lost both Duke and Miami. But either way. Um, you know, the path is the same. It has been, um, it just had a lot, a chance to get wider on Saturday in Miami and it didn't. So, um, just got to win two and one, two and one, three and out. And if you, if you lose one of those last three, have it be Wake Forest. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're decent. Um, Q2, Q2 game, lose to Wake. If you're going to lose one of those last three and be, have it be six and three, lose yeah. to Wake Forest. That's the one you yep. want to lose. Well, anyway, I'm tired of the hypotheticals. I'm excited to watch basketball again. My head hurts. Um, yeah, yeah. Excited to get to Saturday and watch the Hokies go up to Notre Dame and get a big win. So um, with that, I'm Ed. This is Mike. This has been Hokie Hoops. The sky is not falling, everybody. Keep tuning in and supporting the fellas. Um, keep tuning in and supporting the ladies. Another huge road win uh, against a ranked Carolina team. And they've got a big one on Thursday down in Raleigh against, I believe, top five NC State. So the girls' team's humming. The guys' team will get back on track. And things are going to be all good in the Honhurst uh, basketball building. But um, that's it for me. Go Hokies.
Time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. Love, she said it is. What you thinking? Please don't go to sleep singing. Trash your friends, play.